this is Deb. You're tuned in to the Planet E and Me podcast. Yep, together we're changing the world. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 105 of the Planet E and Me podcast. We have a great show for you today with our guests, Carrie and Steve Karp. We're going to dig into plant-based nutrition. I know some of you are thinking, whoa, don't tell me how to eat. Well, we're not going to tell you how to eat, but we are going to give you something to think about. As I was researching for this show, I, I recently learned that animal welfare organizations estimate that 99% of our U.S. farmed animals are living on factory farms. I had no idea that the number was so high, and I guess... It's pretty disturbing because most of us don't believe that factory farming should exist at all. In fact, about 75% of us. But somehow, the connection's not being made. When we go to the store, we're so removed from the practice of factory farming that, you know, we sort of buy into those milk cartons with the little red barns and the happy cows. But the reality of factory farming is actually very different The USDA says that one out of every 10 animals dies of stress, disease, or injury before even getting to the slaughterhouse. So there's a lot of mistreatment going on uh, with these animals. I don't know, if you're like me, uh, I just, I get so upset if I even see a squirrel on the road that's been hit by a car. Um, So the thought that our farm animals are so mistreated is... It's pretty disturbing, and I've seen some of this firsthand. I got a little glimpse of it. The agricultural companies do their best to hide this face from us, but every once in a while, you'll you'll get a little glimpse of it. And this happened for me in 2006. My husband and I were on our honeymoon in California, and we had gone to Yosemite National Park, which if you've never been there, is, is probably one of the most amazing places you'll ever see with the mountains and the magnificent trees. And okay, the waterfalls actually had rainbows arching over them. That's, that's how gorgeous this place was. And so it was a little bit of a shock as we drove south, headed towards Kings Canyon, and we came into the Fresno area. With its, it's loaded with chain stores and, and sign twirlers. That was actually the first time I'd ever seen sign twirlers, and they're pretty talented in Fresno, not like ours on this side. So that was a little bit of a shock to, to come into this really highly developed area. But that was nothing compared to what I saw a little further ahead as we traveled along. We came upon this area along the side of the road where as far as the eye could see, there were thousands of cattle penned in these crowded feeding lots. There was not a blade of grass in sight and they were covered in muck and feces. And that, my friends, is the reality of factory farming. And if you've never seen a factory farm up close and personal, I do think we should all live eyes wide open when it comes to this, what you're eating. You should know where your food comes from. That's all I'll say. 
So if you've never seen it, um, I would recommend watching the 2005 documentary called Our Daily Bread. There's no narration on this documentary. It's really just a simple videotaping of everyday practices in the world of industrial agriculture. Now, after bearing witness to this, if you decide that you no longer want to support such things with your consumer dollars, there are many actions that you can take. You can, for example, buy more organic dairy, and that though that doesn't guarantee that animals are treated humanely, but it if they are organic, they are at least required to have some pasture for part of the year. You can also look for animals that are grass-fed or labels that talk about how the animals are treated. You can do your research, you know, just online research about the farm where your products come from. And hopefully everybody's starting to eat more local. You can go visit that farm and take a look for yourself. Now, if it is a factory farm, they probably won't let you in. Um, definitely not arms wide open. The alternative to all of that is that you can raise your own animals, then you'll know for sure how they're treated. And probably the most effective way to cut down on factory farming is for everyone to start eating a more plant-based diet, using fewer animal products and only products that come from animals that are treated humanely and maybe after listening to this show or thinking about it a little more you'll decide that you don't want to eat any animal products. So I know that's not for everyone you have to decide for yourself but the most important thing is to live eyes wide open. Though ignorance is bliss it's definitely not kind. And just so happens, I have the perfect thing to wake you up today. Our guest Steve Carp is a lead guitarist for the punk band Yepicide. Here is a song from his most recent album, Revenge, Regret, Repeat. The song is called Ghosts, and I think it's a really good reminder to start doing the right thing now so we don't have to live with the ghosts of regret later. Wake up, people! Thank you. 
podcast on the road. Today we're at the home of this week's featured guests, Carrie and Steve Carp. Thanks for letting us pop in on you guys today. Thanks for coming over on the hottest day of the year. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for interviewing us. Yeah. We didn't know we were that interesting. Oh, totally interesting. Yeah, and it is the hottest day too that we picked. So this is our first duo interview. I'm really, really excited. And today we're talking about vegetarian and vegan lifestyles. But first, I thought our listeners would like to learn a little bit more about your background. And Carrie, you're just this wonderful, sweet teen librarian. And Steve, you're this amazing lead guitarist for the heavy metal punk band, Yepicide. So how does that work? Quiet librarian, heavy metal guitarist. Um, I guess books. We both love books. We, and we actually both love a lot of this. Our, our musical tastes overlap a lot. So there's probably more overlap in the Venn diagram than people might think. Yeah? Is, is that how you met? Was she at one of your concerts? No, no, no. no we no. wouldn't be together if that was the case. <laughs> no, we, we met by, uh, I popped into Borders, Books and Music. Like I said, I like books. And she happened to be there. And then circumstances were that her boss was also, who lived below me in an apartment building. So, and that, that neighbor of ours kind of facilitated us coming together a little bit more. Yeah, he was um, a customer and he came into Borders and he was looking for Britney Spears calendars. And, and Ricky, Ricky Martin, Martin calendars. <laughs> yes. As like his way to talk to me. And yeah. uh, I noticed 
as he was speaking that he had a straight edge tattoo on his wrist which is something that I had just recently gotten a straight edge tattoo. So I was like, wow, what are the odds that I'm going to meet a vegetarian straight edge guy at Borders? So that definitely piqued my interest and started going out. Sure. I think we work because we're kind of like yin and yang because Mm -hmm. I'm the quiet introverted one and he's the loud extroverted one. So I definitely feed off his energy and then sometimes I calm him down. So I think that we work well as a couple. If we were both extroverted, it might be harder. I don't know. But so I think we fit together. You make each other better, right? I hope so. I yeah, hope so. definitely. <laughs> Sounds like it. So, Carrie, one of the things I love about you is how dedicated and creative you are when it comes to your job. And recently you did a big grant with your teams called Memories of Migration. you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the West Hartford Libraries got that grant in 2014, and um, it was basically a partnership with the Santa Ana Public Library in California, um, a library in New Mexico, and the Queens Library in New York. And all of us tried to do this program where we were working with teen historians in high schools and having them go out into the public and interview recent immigrants to our communities. So I worked with students from Conard and Hall High School. We went out, we found different people living in West Hartford who had come from different countries across the world and just basically got their stories, like what was life like in their former countries? Why did they decide to come to the United States? Why did they pick West Hartford? And what has their experience been like in our town? Um, And it was very enlightening. It was a wonderful project, definitely. A lot of work but I think that the end product of the videos that we created are a nice time capsule yeah. of immigration in West Hartford in the 2000s. Yeah no I think it's just such a wonderful project to do and helping others to understand and em- embrace immigrant populations is such important work especially right now mm-hmm. with what our country is going through so yeah I really think that's beautiful work that you're doing with that. So do you have plans to extend that somewhere with the teens? The grant technically ended in 2018 um, and we ended that project, but we are considering doing a similar thing, but mm. instead of using video, we'd like to interview people in podcast format. Yay! So, podcast! Um, <laughs> I'm working with the public schools and hopefully this fall we'll be going into the middle schools in West Hartford and interviewing students to get their oh. perspectives on immigration. So That's exciting. Yeah. 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 What we like about it is that it'll give these kids who are moving to West Hartford an opportunity to introduce themselves to their teachers, to administration, and to other students. Because mm-hmm. um, for a lot of them, English isn't their native language, but we're going to make it work somehow that they're going to be able to share their stories and um, share their voices with the community. Oh, that's that's wonderful. I'm excited. I, I hope that works out. It's, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that happen. So, Steve, I know you are interested in social issues, too. And yeah, I read definitely. an interview that you did um, when your last album was coming out, mm-hmm. Revenge, Regret, Repeat. Yes. And you said that Yepicide's music is full of anti-establishment venom. Sure. So I'm just wondering where that comes from and, um, you know, 
when you look at the world, what it what is it that you feel most angry about or upset about, and and how's that different from back in the eighties when you started the the band? What kind of fueled us in the eighties? It's kind of stayed true uh, all along. It's been a recurring kind of a recurring theme is is that we just try to speak truth to power mm-hmm. where we see. Um, folks being exploited where we see a system of imbalance. We just kind of feel compelled to speak up uh, kind of about that. And that's kind of always been a theme with the band because uh, coming from the underground music scene, um, it was kind of a reactionary scene and people were speaking out against injustices that they saw all around them, whether it was on a local level, state level, uh, a national, even on an international level. We would just have that energy in the music, and as we just got older, we would, we would actually everybody in the band. We had a little book club where everybody in the band read. We just kind of stayed aware of things that were of issue to us, and that we thought was kind of important to speak about. And it was definitely, definitely for folks to self empower themselves. I think if we had to distill the whole band's career down to one thing, it would kind of be to um, not take anything for granted and to sort of be. Uh, self-powered and do a lot of research, ask a lot of questions, don't take anything for granted, and don't be afraid to make a little bit of noise of your own. So that that stayed true for us, and that's kind of, we we all learned that from being involved in this underground music scene, that's where kind of gave us the tools to be outspoken, to be to listen when it was time to listen, to yell when it was time to yell, to get involved with vegetarianism and other social kind of intertwined social issues like that. So that's all part of that underground music scene that we all, that we came through. That's so interesting to hear like the background of that, because in a lot of people's minds, you don't think of a heavy metal punk band as going out there and doing their research and, you know, reading books. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool to hear that. And sure. um, Sure. Know how that music comes about. And I got to know, is the whole band, are they all vegetarians? Um, no, not to the extent that I am, but the thing is, is that when we tour, especially overseas in Europe, mm-hmm. the you get fed by the venue, you get fed by the places, and everybody, 99% of everybody cooks vegan. Oh. Um, it's just been an ingrained, it's, it's a cooked in, so to speak, part of the underground music scene, especially in Europe, because they have a longer history with doing things that are counterculture, with anti-establishment, and part of that was the kind of the rejection of fa- uh, factory farming, the rejection of animal exploitation. Um, and that's got a long history going back to the 50s and the 60s, let alone the punk rock scene. So by us traveling and getting exposed to vegetarianism and then veganism and animal rights, um, all kinds of different issues uh, that were socially progressive and socially aware, um, it came out in our music. But that was also the environment that we were kind of marinating in as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everybody was, was well-read. Everybody tried to be up on current and, and history, things that, that affected social issues that were going on in the day. And mm-hmm. it, we were really impressed. A lot of folks in Europe knew a lot more about American history than we did, so it humbled yeah, us. That, I believe. <laughs> that humbled us and made us say, hey, we've got we've to get our act together yeah. and really start studying and doing our homework. Yeah. And wow. Steve, like, studies social issues more than most people. Like, mm-hmm. he does a lot of reading every night. And also watches a lot of 
I don't know what those shows are that you watch in the morning time. Yeah. Um, just learning about global issues, international mm. issues. So he's very current on everything We need more of you. There actually are. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of 50-something punk rockers out there that kind of have, they're very socially aware, socially conscious, mm-hmm. and um, quietly working in the background. They're not, they're not, they don't have purple mohawks. They're not throwing Molotovs at police cars yeah. uh, anymore. They're just kind of working in the background for, you know, kind of agitating for quiet change yeah. in their workplace, in their home, yeah. in their schools. We're out there. Yeah. I still think it's good to make some noise sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> Let them know you're there. <laughs> yes, that is that's one of the one of the tools that's in the quiver. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. There's a like a whole spectrum mm-hmm. of things you can do. So I just wanted to know since um, we were we got into the vegetarianism and veganism. Mm-hmm. So starting with you, Carrie, um, how did that start for you? Where did where did that come from? Well, I'm not really proud of how it began, but um, basically. I became a vegetarian because I was copying other people. So from a very young age, like the age of nine, I was very into a band called R.E.M. that you might be familiar with. Yes. And the lead singer, Michael Stipe, was vegetarian. So once I was in high school, I decided I was going to be like Michael Stipe and uh, stop eating meat. Also, I had a boyfriend in high school who was vegan. He even had a vegan tattoo in his mouth. And uh, I saw him not eating meat and decided I was going to do it too. So kind of copycat vegetarianism, I would say. Yeah, but I I think that must come from a place of caring and I mean, people, they try it and then they just move away from it. I know I've tried a bunch of times. So, I mean, there must be something about it that, you know, really kind of hits you deeply and is very important to you. Yeah, I mean... The deciding factor was like when I was in college, I actually went to University of Georgia because I loved REM so much. But Athens, um, you know, it was kind of like Northampton, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. It was like very progressive college town. But yeah. once you got off campus and you were driving in the nearby towns, they were all farm country. And I would see sometimes like trucks full of chickens and pigs that were going to the slaughterhouse. And one day I just drove by a pig truck and looked at those poor animals and I was like okay I can never eat meat again and that was literally the day that I stopped eating it because in Connecticut we don't see the big farms we don't see the animals going to the slaughterhouse but um, when I witnessed that as a 17 year old that kind of like was the turning point in my life and I haven't eaten meat since then except three times accidentally accidentally (laughs) not even tempted right I know I know some people I've met vegetarians but then yeah. um I'm, I'm doing air quotes for those of you who can't see me yeah, yeah, yeah. um but then they they can't stand not to have bacon so right. no never <laughs> never once have it. i ever thought of eating meat no wow. no wow. And, and what's your journey like Steve? it was definitely from being involved in in uh hardcore punk music mm-hmm. like i was saying there's uh an undercurrent of that as part of the music form. I mean, the, the, the whole umbrella of, of hardcore punk rock and stuff has a lot of different threads running through it. And a few of the threads where uh, it has a strong vegetarian, vegan thing, going back, actually going back to the 60s and kind of going back to the countercultures of the 60s, because veganism goes back to the 40s. It started in England as, a, as, a, um, as an actual codified 
way of doing things. And so it was, it was, it was sort of quote unquote baked into the music. And at first, when I was younger, I kind of rejected it because I thought it was like a hippie holdover thing because I was more angry and less intelligent and less open-minded. I was just, I was into the music. I was into the rebellion. I was into social issues. And it seemed like the vegetarian thing wasn't aggressive. It wasn't punk rock. And then as I got a little bit older and I got more mature, and I also got exposed to a lot more people that were doing it, and they made it, they, they, the way that they sort of sold it was just by example. They were really good at being a vegetarian, and they made they say, hey, this is easy to do. This is not expensive. Um, you can do all this stuff. And they were, they were healthy folks to boot, too. So just by those examples, it, it became easier. Like, like what I was saying earlier when we went on tour, people would feed us on tour, and they would feed us vegetarian and vegan stuff. And at first, when I was much younger, I would turn my nose up at it. I'm like, stuffed peppers, I, I don't want that. <laughs> I mean, because I, I was kind of a, a child of the 70s, so I grew up on like fried bologna and steakums and all kinds of just like absolute trash. Mm -hmm. So then to kind of transition to this stuff and to get past the fact that it was sort of um, kind of quote-unquote hippie holdovers, once my brain got to the point where I was like, wow, this is something that I actually really want to do and I can do it. And it's actually more rebellious against society as a whole to sort of eat plants and grow your own plants and learn mm -hmm. how to cook mm -hmm. and do all that. And it just became, once, once I looked at it from that standpoint, it became a lot more exciting and kind of attractive. And it was also sort of like, um, like a covert action thing that you were doing too because you were kind of rejecting the system that you grew up with and then you realize it was kind of a, a very wasteful system, a very unhealthy system, a very exploitative system. So if you were, if you were doing like a counter-eating system, it was yet another strike against the man. That's how I thought of it when I was younger. I was very intrigued. And then now it just stuck. It's like I, it, it, there's no going back. And the, the reality is, is that now in 2019, it's so darn easy to mm. be, to be plant-based. Right. It's, it's incredibly easy. So if people are starting out, mm -hmm. um, maybe they're starting as vegetarian. Mm -hmm. So Carrie, what would you recommend for somebody who just maybe wants to add some vegetarian meals or mm -hmm. wants to read about it or, um, what would be some good ways to get started? I think the best gateway is to try one of the vegetarian restaurants that are in the area first, oh, okay. um, because when you have a professional making you a delicious vegetarian meal, it kind of shows you the possibility of what can happen. Right. So like even near our work in uh, West Hartford Center, there's Flora, which is amazing. Flora. Yes. And then in Middletown, it's only natural, which is like a place we used to go when we yeah. first started dating. And then we found a new place in Manchester called Oak 21. Okay. Um, so definitely support your vegetarian restaurants and yeah. try out their recipes. That's a great idea. Um, I would also say, you know, get a good cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> 
You could start in your library, right? <laughs> if you don't not want to buy it yet. Well, there's definitely like celebrities in the vegetarian scene. Um, like Punk Rock Kitchen is like a really good uh, resource. They have a website and they have books. So okay. check out something like that. Um, and maybe once a week, try to eat vegetarian. That's a great tip. Yeah. Now, if we're going to take that a little farther with um, veganism, mm-hmm. what how, how do we do that? It's a kind of a multi multi-pronged approach. But I'd say the easiest way to really do it is to hang around with other vegetarians and, uh, and hang around with other vegans mm. and kind of learn from them. And Because it can be daunting at first. Um, so you want to hang around with folks and see how they do it and get tips from them. And you can ask questions. And then you can also learn by watching what they're doing. Like, Like I have friends over and I cook for them. And they watch me cook, and they see that the ingredients are incredibly simple. There's nothing like when we go to when we go to vegan restaurants, we get spoiled by these incredible meals, <laughs> and they have all kinds of food processors and exotic spices. And then when people come here, I'm just making something simple with some vegetables from the garden, maybe some tempeh or some tofu, some simple spices. Boom! And I make I like I cook kind of peasant style, kind of communal style. So I make like. A very simple, healthy meal, but I make a lot of it and I eat it throughout the week or I share it with friends. Mm. So I learned that from the whole punk rock scene and everything was very communal. Uh, Everybody kind of, everybody cooked for all the bands. And so you learn from that. So people made simple, cheap meals that you could feed a bunch of people for a couple of days. And, And you just do it simply. And also... You also get exposed to a lot of cultures that you didn't know had a basis of vegan cooking. Mm. And, like, you learn about Indian food. Now, as a, as a lily-white kid growing up in the suburbs in the 70s and 80s, I didn't even have Chinese food till oh. I was older. So, let alone you throw in maybe uh, some of the more exotic-style uh, cultures of cooking... And it's pretty mind-blowing. And I think once I moved to New York to go to school, I was around a lot of different people, and they were exposing me to their cultures and their foods. And I found out that people were making the most dead simple foods out of the most simple, easy ingredients. Mm -hmm. And um, that was really eye-opening. So you just get exposed to other people and how they do it. And and right now with the Internet, too, I mean, before the Internet, you really kind of had to go to a health food store, which could be daunting because you walk in and it smells like weird spices and patchouli and the floor is creepy right. <laughs> and there's people in sandals. Nowadays, it's like you can find really healthy organic food right like a walking distance of your house. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's now, there's no better time than now. It's really easy. And it, it sounds like um, you're skipping all the processed food, which is great. So definitely has a lot of health benefits. And there was always this old perception that eating vegan and vegetarian wasn't healthy. Correct. But um, there's a lot of top athletes now that are yeah. vegan. So Rich Roll comes to mind. He's yep. an ultra yes. Ironman. Absolutely. One of the 25 fittest. He might men know in the a world. thing or two about health. Yeah, he might, uh, right? Yeah. So um, you mentioned some of the other myths about veganism. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, one of the biggest ones, and like. Um, 
you know, even though that I, I'm into punk rock and hardcore music and stuff and have mm-hmm. been for ages, I still work in the normal work world. You know, we call it the square world. I still <laughs> work with squares. And, uh, you know, when it comes to light that... Um, and I wear long sleeves and stuff at work, and I wear, like, you know, appropriate work attire for an engineering firm or, yes. or uh, consulting engineering firms and stuff. But when it comes to, light, like, over a work luncheon or something, and it's, uh, I have a plant-based diet, I try not to say the V word because the word vegan has sort of uh, mm. trickled into popular mainstream culture, and it's kind of doesn't have the most positive connotations yet. It, it's getting better. It's getting better. But so I just say plant-based because sometimes when people hear vegan, they think, oh, this guy's going to preach at me. He's going to make me not wear my leather work boots. Or, and, and I have the exact opposite. I'm like, you do whatever you want. If you want to know about what I do, I'd love to talk your ear off about it. But I don't proselytize. I don't preach. So when someone says, hey, we're having hot dogs, I'm like, no, nah, I'm going you know, to skip dinner. Like, well, why? Like, well, I have... You know, I, I'm in a, I call it the diet cult. I'm like, I'm in this cult diet thing. <laughs> just to make a, you know, to kind of giggle about yeah, it. Right. But I'm like, I have a plant-based diet. And people are like, how does that work? And then you sort of explain it to them. But I, one, one, you know, really big misconception is, is that veganism is expensive. Mm. And only affluent people can do it. And only, only people with a lot of money and time can do it. I learned a lot about veganism from people that had very little money. And those were the best people to learn from because they were very, very resourceful. And they were very, um, they would make the most out of the least. And they were like, yeah, this is our culture. It's not like they were doing it as a rebellion. They were like, oh, yeah, I'm vegan because I'm into punk rock or I'm into, they're like, this is how we grew up. It's part of our culture. And they've always existed on some real simple grains and some, corn and some beans and quinoa and stuff and so just getting exposed to all that stuff and realizing hey this isn't expensive it's it, it's not time consuming you can make this stuff happen right. really easily and you can make it a part of your life pretty easily right and i think the other big myth is that um yeah you don't get enough protein when yeah. you're vegetarian or yeah vegan. Yep. yeah 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 people people um people definitely have some misconceptions and they're worried about because i think that uh part of the people being kind of addicted to animal-based products is is a lot of propaganda they've been fed about oh i'm an athlete i gotta have raw meat and i gotta have eggs and and i gotta have animal protein and be bringing all that stuff into my diet because i'm an athlete and then you could turn around and say well you can get a lot of different proteins from a lot of different other places because a lot of cultures don't have access mm-hmm. to these meats and you could point out some very healthy folks that exist just on plants right. and kind of take that into your own existence and and um it, it kind of blows people's minds because they're they're really kind of addicted to their cheese and they're yeah. addicted to their ham and, <laughs> and stuff and, and i grew up on all that and it was you know as a kid it was delicious um but then i just said uh, I'm ready to move past all that. Yeah. So, wow, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, it's it's great, and um, I think our listeners will appreciate it and um, hopefully start trying some vegan and vegetarian meals. And I think of that, of the idea of choosing a kinder nutrition style is um, kind of connected to the environment as a whole and caring about the environment. So... 
Carrie, I guess we'll start with you. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any worries when it comes to the environment, and and what keeps you hopeful? Mm. Well, my concerns mostly are with like the treatment of animals at this point, and so that's why in our house, ninety nine percent of the stuff that we buy is organic, mm-hmm. um, especially dairy products for me and things like that. Just and eggs, making sure that the cows and the chickens are treated as humanely as possible and definitely don't want to support those big farms that um, are not taking care of the stock. Um, yeah, so I think that's my biggest concern. I mean, yeah, I don't know. What, what's yours, Steve? Um, mine is definitely our countries, and, and this comes from having the good fortune to travel and see how other people do things in their parts of the world. Um, the way that American society is so internally combustion focused, um, our entire country from top to bottom is focused on the automobile and it didn't always used to be like that. And then when, of course, when you have the automobile, then you've got the petroleum companies and the fossil fuel based companies. So realizing the grip that those two kind of, uh, monolithic things have on our culture and say, well, what can I, little old me, kind of do in the face of these enormous industries that are, that kind of seem to have the country in its, in its grip. And it's, it's like, I walk a lot. I'm super lucky. I've always, I've, in the recently, I've chosen jobs that were close by that I could walk Mm. to and or ride my bicycle to. So, like Carrie kind of alluded to earlier, I got really, I got really into cycling. So I ride my bicycle to work, or when it, we have to get something from the store, we just walk over to the store. And it's funny that we take that for granted. And I lived in Europe and stuff, and you know, nobody, people only drive if it's if they have to, and they have very tiny cars, and the roads are very small. It's sort of the, it's sort of the opposite. And public transportation is so pervasive and so prevalent and so excellent. And here it's so spotty and sort of frowned upon. So, I mean, for me, it's empowering people to sort of take their destiny in their hands and say, hey, you know what? You're relatively close to your work. Once a week, ride a bicycle to work. Mm-hmm. You know, once a week, car. you don't have to carpool. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you have the fortune of being near public transportation, take that. Yeah. Investigate it. Find out yeah. that it's there. Let your car sit idle for a bit. Um, I mean, there's people that I know that have taken it to a farther extreme. They have no motorized transportation whatsoever, and everything they do is either on foot or on cargo bicycles. Those people, that's excellent. Yeah. That's not a level that, <laughs> that, that, that we're not at that. I mean, and and um, but I mean that shows you the high end of the spectrum. That's something to shoot for. But for me, it's just the fact that. I mean, I even started riding in the winter now. Um, oh. So I ride my bicycle as much as I can. It's it's fun, and it's also one of those like little acts of rebellion mm-hmm. that you can do. It's like, hey, I see people that drive a mile to work in some big, sluggy automobile that's inefficient. Yeah. And here I am at 50 riding a bicycle with another 40 pounds of junk for work on we my back. We all need to rebel more. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's quiet rebellion. Yeah, and it's making it fun, too. Yeah. It's like, I ride, you know, you could spend a lot of money on bicycles or you could recycle old bicycles yeah. and get them running again. And I was lucky. I learned that from some really, really cool people who yeah. taught me how to recycle old bicycles oh, and get them cool. running. So network, you know, yeah. network with cool people. Yeah. 
I, I, that would be a fun thing to learn. We need a video on that, Steve. <laughs> we'll be careful what you ask for. Hey, we'll give it. me that. I will put it on my yeah. my YouTube channel. I would yeah, love that. To, to, I mean, <laughs> and, and riding a bicycle to work and, and stuff is really easy. Yeah. It's not... But it blows people's minds. It just kind of shows how wedded we are to these mm -hmm. things that we think yeah. we, we've been told we need. Yeah. And then when you don't have them, you realize, I can make do without this for, for a fair amount yeah. of my life. And sometimes it's not even making do. Sometimes you realize, wow, I like this better, you know? Yeah. So I think it's not always about the sacrifice. I think people have that in their mind, but sometimes your life is just better without those things. Yes. So this question's for you, Carrie. Um, sure. Your son is two and a half now. Yes. And when he grows up, what mm -hmm. kind of planet do you want him to have? What, what vision do you have for the world he lives in? I'm hoping it'll be a safe place for him and a more aware place uh, where he won't be part of that generation that just drives the big Hummers and SUVs and things like that, um, doesn't drink water bottles and throw them into the ocean, um, doesn't consume mass quantities of meat. I don't know. I just hope that he's aware. And I think that by having us as his parents and being his role models, mm. we'll see that we try to eat kindly. We'll see that we walk to the bank, we walk to the store, we walk to the doctor, and hopefully he'll use some of those skills yeah. and, uh, yeah, make little changes of his own. He's definitely got two great role models. What world do you see for your son when he gets older? Um, definitely, we would love for him to have fun being a better person. Like, we don't want to nag him or harp on him. We just want being a good person to just come naturally in the flow without um, any kind of pretense. We would just love for him to just look at all aspects of his life and just say, hey, can I be kinder? Can I be more patient? Can I be more... Under I mean, this is stuff that we all are, are working on. And whatever pursuits that he has, just kind of be aware of what the ramifications of those pursuits are. Like if he gets into a new hobby or something, um, say, hey, is this something that's going to make you a better person? Is it going to make you a kinder, wiser person? Is it going to make you more fun? Is it going to give you skills that can help other folks? Um, and obviously not everything is going to be like that. He can't be, you know, kind of a, a, a social advocate from a young age, but just have him be comfortable with other folks, comfortable with himself, not afraid of other people, just to kind of be be more aware, be be be, be not afraid to be curious, not afraid of other people. Mm -hmm. That's like we expose him to different languages. That's wonderful. Yes, he's learning German, I he understand. Is, he <laughs> is. And uh, we, we just, just by that simple act, like, I know when I traveled out of the United States for the very first time, it was so mind-blowing on so many levels, mm -hmm. and it didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to just expose him to all these things so that he's not afraid. Mm -hmm. You know, the, a lot of times people are afraid, and they fear just because they don't know. Right. You know, there's someone speaking another language. They're a bad person. No, they just have another language. Other languages are cool. They're fun. Yeah. There's some odd food. Oh, maybe I want to try it. So we don't want him to be 
be kind of so insular, like kind of our suburban upbringings. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with a suburban upbringing, but I think now the suburbs are opening up more and people are not afraid to expose kids to all kinds of people and stuff and languages and foods and cultures. And when you do that, you kind of tear down a lot of those barriers that we see now. Uh, I hope I hope that's the world we see in the future. So, as you both know, on Planet EME, we always have a challenge for our featured guests. And it's mostly to show people that it's not that hard to take actions of significance. So, I thought that this challenge could mainly be for Carrie, and you can help too, Steve. Sure. Um, I thought, uh, Carrie, that you could learn a few vegan recipes, since Steve does most of the cooking now, but you could learn a few and show people how easy it can be, like Steve was saying before, to cook vegan and um, make simple and delicious food. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I, I have done vegan baking, but yeah. vegan cooking... She's quite I a good vegan ba uh, baker. Pretty awesome. much not done in the last 20 years. So. <laughs> well, we'll give it a try. And usually on our show, um, we also try and raise some money for a good environmental charity. Or, of course, as we said, it can be an animal welfare organization, which kind of fits under that umbrella. So do the two of you have an organization that you'd like to support? We, we support a, several um, different types of organizations. Definitely no-kill shelters. So okay. wherever somebody might be listening to this, look up your local no-kill shelter or a farm sanctuary is another great one. Mm -hmm. And then another one is a food bank. And, and now we're finding more and more food banks that do just organic and then do just vegan. And they work with like farmer co-ops. Mm -hmm. So in, in punk rock, we used to have this thing uh, called Food Not Bombs. Everybody was socially kind of more aware of some of the bands. And we would do these shows where the money... You could charge money at the door, but you could also bring a canned good, or you could bring fresh fruit and get in to see this gig. And then at the end of the show, they would take all that stuff and then feed folks from the community. Ah, wonderful. So I, I, I would love for folks to think about that the differences that they could make in their community just by contributing to food pantries and no-kill shelters and things like that. So, um, for folks that would like to see, we're going to do a follow-up video with Steve and Carrie. So, if you want to see their awesome video, you just go to planetemi.com. Before we go, is there anything either of you would like to share? Well, thank you for your interest in us. We, don't, we didn't really think that we were interview-worthy. We're just kind of regular... Well, that's the one place you were wrong. I think you're totally interview-worthy, and it's been an absolute pleasure, and I think actually very enlightening Great. Um, for myself as well. I had no idea about the underground culture of um, punk rock and heavy metal, so that was very cool, and I think other people learning about plant-based diets very yeah. important. So, yeah. um, we also have some resources on the website that people can check out, some movies and books and things. And you can go to your library and get those. Yeah, support libraries. Yeah, oh. eat veg. All right, well, great job, you guys. Thank you. Thank you.